0: Welcome to Econ Talk, coming to you from the Library of Economics and Liberty. I'm your host, Russ Roberts of George Mason University. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments or feedback for us here at Econ Talk, please send me an email at Roberts, R-O-B-E-R-T-S, roberts at gmu.edu. You can find more Econ Talk at www.econtalk.org, along with readings and links related to this podcast. My guest today is Alex Tabarrok, my colleague here at George Mason University who blogs brilliantly at marginalrevolution.com. We're going to talk about the economics of medicine. Alex, good to have you on Econ Talk.
1: Thanks, Russ. Good to be here.
0: Well, you've done a lot of reading and writing and thinking about the economics of medicine and particularly uh, the challenges of being a doctor in today's world, which involves malpractice and the risk of a lawsuit that alleges malpractice. Could you tell me a little bit and our listeners about the environment today for a doctor worried about malpractice and lawsuits?
1: Well, I think I can, uh, the, the American Medical Association, I think, uh, is now saying that medical liability reform is their top priority because higher insurance premiums, insurance premiums have been going up dramatically, have in fact been causing some doctors to retire early, to reduce the scope of their practice, to practice more defensive medicine, even to move to another state. So the AMA says that uh, rapidly increasing medical liability insurance premiums caused by escalating jury awards are seriously threatening patient access to care.
0: And do you think that's true?
1: Well, of course, their ox is the one being gored, and once your ox is being gored, you're you're, you're likely to uh, make it more gory than it actually is. But it is true that medical malpractice premiums have increased dramatically since about 1999 going up by 50 percent sixty percent 70 percent in some specialties and in some states so I can certainly understand uh, why uh, the doctors are upset
0: and what are some of the when you say they've gone up what are the what are some of the levels what's roughly what might a doctor pay in in insurance in an insurance premium to uh, protect him or herself against a lawsuit
1: it, it varies dramatically by uh, what state you're in and also by uh, your specialty. So if we take a doctor in, for example, internal medicine, where you are essentially diagnosing patients, uh, it's not that bad. It might be uh, $10,000 per year. On the other hand, if you take a specialty like OBGYN, where you are delivering babies and you're dealing mostly with a healthy uh, a group of patients, it can be $50,000 a year. In some states, it might be as high as $100,000 or $150,000 a year. And so if you're in, you're an OBGYN and you're in a state where the awards, excuse me, where premiums have been increasing, your premium might have doubled from $50,000 to $100,000 a year in the past five years.
0: There are really two issues here, and I'd like you to talk about them separately and, and explain why they're different. Uh, obviously, if I'm a doctor, I don't want to get sued. Uh, it's embarrassing. And it's painful and it's costly in terms of time and it could be very costly in terms of money. But once I have insurance, one might think the idea of insurance is to reduce your risk. So why would doctors be upset about the fact that the cost of reducing that risk has gone up? It's now more expensive to insure yourself uh, against a bad lawsuit or a good lawsuit, any kind of lawsuit. Uh, Wouldn't they just incorporate those costs into their business like any other business does with insurance? Oh, they don't they just charge more?
1: Some of that can be done, but on the other hand, medical care, so much of it is involved with the government, with Medicaid and Medicare and so forth, where prices are fixed, or with dealing with HMOs, that um this does put a squeeze on the doctors. Moreover, I think that's right in the long run. I think that is true. Patients in the long run will be the ones to bear these costs. But when you see premiums going up by 50 uh, percent or 100 percent, you know, over the space of a few years, then that's not something which can be uh, worked out, uh, which can be easily passed on right away to uh, patients and to others. So doctors so, yeah. are
0: finding themselves earning less money. Uh, are they having less fun? You hear the claim that doctors, that being a doctor is less fun than it used to be because of the paperwork, et cetera. Does this insurance issue into play there, or is that just related to other bureaucratic concerns of insurance, uh, government payments, and other things? You know, when I talk
1: to doctors, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, they just don't like operating in this environment where it's, they can easily be sued at any time in, in any place, because it is. it's a lot of time constraint, as you say. It's embarrassing, and it's just an unpleasant atmosphere to work in when you're de- trying to deal with a patient and you're thinking not, what do I need to do to make this patient healthier? You're thinking, what tests do I need to order so that I can't possibly be accused of not having done my work carefully? You know, what, do, what do I have to do to cover my butt so that I'm not going to be sued? Doctors don't want to think that. They don't want to spend time uh thinking about those sorts of things they want to be dealing with patients that's after all why they went into the business I mean, to help out patients it's mean, not to deal with lawyers all the time
0: i thought the hippocratic oath had something about malpractice premiums like i guess i was just there i must have an old or a new version i guess i'm <laughs> right. confused yeah uh, but, but there are two issues here again and i and i want to take, maybe we'll take them one at a time so one issue you've laid out is that is that the malpractice environment is very unpleasant the threat of a lawsuit But then on top of that, insuring yourself against that threat, against that risk, has gotten increasingly expensive. And it's a cost that's very difficult for doctors to recoup in in the short run uh, when those costs are rising dramatically. So why are those costs of, of insurance rising dramatically? What are some of the explanations for that?
1: Well, most of the cost of insurance, most of the cost of an insurance company is simply paying out payouts, paying awards. Settlements and awards when they're being sued. So my common sense kind of view is that the major reason why premiums have gone up is that tort awards have gone up.
0: Say that again. Tort awards. What do you mean by tort awards?
1: I mean, uh, when a doctor is sued and either in a settlement or a trial, uh, a jury says, you know, you've got to pay a million dollars or two million dollars or ten million dollars. Those awards have gone up. So doctors are having to pay more when they are successfully sued. And that those uh, trial awards also influence settlement. So if doctors know that awards have gone up, then they're going to have to settle for more. So that's what the insurance company, after all, is insuring against. It's insuring against having to pay these payouts, these awards.
0: What about insurance company profits? Have they been going up or down?
1: Uh, they have definitely not been going up. Uh, and in fact, um, some companies have been leaving the the business. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about price gouging in a minute. But
0: well, let's talk about it now. Isn't isn't there a theory that the reason that premiums are going up is because uh, insurance companies are greedy and have just raised their rates on doctors to take advantage of them?
1: Uh, absolutely. So, the- absolutely,
0: absolutely true. As-
1: absolutely, <laughs> uh, some people say that. Oh, all right. True.
0: You. you made me nervous there. Alex. <laughs> okay.
1: Um, yeah, for example, uh, J. Robert Hunter, who is uh, uh, Director of Insurance for the Consumer Federation of America, he says uh, insurance companies are price-gouging their doctors. Or uh, Connecticut Attorney General uh, Richard Blumenthal, he says that uh, expensive insurance rates become a matter of life and death when they drive doctors out of business, as is happening in Connecticut. Insurance company greed can be hazardous to our health. Uh, Russ, you might have... Uh, Uh, You might remember that uh, uh, Connecticut Attorney General uh, Richard Blumenthal, he was actually in the papers just a few days ago saying that the gas companies have been price gouging. So clearly he has uh, price gouging on the mind.
0: I'm always a little suspicious of those gouging theories. Uh, You know, one of the challenges of defending a gouging hypothesis is the timing of the gouging. Like, why Uh, weren't they gouging before? That's
1: absolutely. I had an email correspondent uh, write to me. Well, if gouging is not the answer, he he wrote to me, the insurance companies have the luxury of raising their prices when business is bad. And my response is, why don't they raise their price when business is good? Yeah, I mean,
0: (laughs) the last time I looked, they're not uh, charities. They they seem to like making money. So one of the challenges of that gouging hypothesis is trying to explain why they just feel uh, avaricious and grasping. Uh, when uh, consumers uh, are, are um, least able to take, take account of it. That's exactly That's right. And, bizarre. This goes,
1: and this goes back to um, the point you raised earlier. What about the profits of these insurance companies? Well, you'd predict that if there's all this gouging going on, that that must be good for the insurance companies. Yeah. In fact, uh, lots of them have been leaving the business. Uh, the St. Paul Company.
0: Well, that just proves how well, altruistic they are. They're yeah. leaving. They, they want to let some of their brethren uh, exploit consumer, uh doctors uh, with insurance premiums. They, they've had enough. They're just—it's time to let some other insurance company come in and make a killing. It, it,
1: it's a guilty conscience. <laughs> yeah, they exactly. couldn't—they couldn't take those profits uh, <laughs> on anymore. Oh, the, the shame of it! <laughs> the shame of it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so
0: that hypothesis is not uh, borne out by the the profit data. Well, What's It's the not borne out
1: by the profit data. It's not borne out by logic. It's also not borne out by um, empirical, you know, testing. So. My uh, co-author and I, in a uh, recent uh, Manhattan Institute study, Amanda mandagan is my co-author, we said, well, look, if price gouging is the explanation, the only way that gouging can work is where there is a lack of competition. So let's look at the data. Um, is In states where uh, the big firms have a larger share of the market, do we see higher prices in those states for medical malpractice? Insurance premium.
0: The presumption being that if you have a large market share, there's less competition and you should, according to this gouging theory, be able to exploit the, uh, the doctors.
1: Exactly right. And what do we find? We find that? No. In fact, we find the exact opposite. That in states which have, where a large share of the market is taken up by just a few firms, we actually find lower prices. Now, you might think, well, doesn't that violate economic theory with monopoly? Don't you expect higher prices? No, actually, it doesn't violate economic theory. Oh,
0: phew. I'm so relieved. <laughs> I, for a minute there, I thought I was going to have to go out and find another job. <laughs> right. Don't scare me like that. Come on.
1: Well, what you have to ask is, how do firms get big in the first place? Good point. You can't just look at where the firm is today. You have to ask, how is it that this firm got big? And a firm gets big by having efficiency, by having lower costs. And because their costs are lower, the price lower, and they drive the inefficient firms out of the business. So actually, it's not that surprising that uh, just like Walmart grows big by lowering prices, that uh, uh, insurance firms, which have lower costs, can drive prices down and actually expand their share of the market.
0: Very reasonable. Okay, so, so the gouging theory, let's put that to the side. That does not explain the recent sudden increases and dramatic increases in premiums that uh, insurance companies are charging doctors for malpractice. So what are we left with? What's your explanation?
1: Well, my explanation is that awards have gone up.
0: Jury awards or settlements by doctors and lawsuits.
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, there's no doubt that um, this is true. Now, we do have to add one. Uh, a complication uh, to the model, and that is that it's very difficult for an insurance firm to predict future awards, and insurance firms need to do that because the premiums that they charge today have to cover future payouts. So insurance firms need to be able to predict, you know, are awards going to go up in the future, are they going to level off, are they going to decline, is sport reform going to work? You have to predict all of these things. And it's a very difficult job to do. So it's not surprising that sometimes uh, firms get it wrong. And in fact, um, during approximately 1986 to about 1999, insurance firms actually were wrong, but they were wrong in that their premiums were too low relative to awards. Nobody complained back then, of course,
0: that that
1: premiums were too low. So now insurance firms have realized, unfortunately, that medical malpractice awards are permanently higher, or at least for the foreseeable future, they have risen to a much higher level. And so some of the um, increase in recent years has been a belated recognition of the fact that awards are much higher.
0: And as a result, they've raised their rates to try to cover the cost of what they expect to be uh, higher rewards, com- higher awards coming down the pike.
1: That's right. In the long run, uh, in the long run, the premiums are going to track payouts.
0: Because of competition.
1: Because of competition. That's right. If their premiums are below payouts, you have bankruptcies and firms leave the industry. If premiums are above payouts. You have competition, you have free entry, you have other firms entering into the industry. So in the long run, premiums are going to track payouts. In fact, for every dollar increase in payouts, there's a one-to-one increase in premiums. Every dollar increase in payouts leads to a dollar increase in premiums. Eventually. In the short run, we can have deviations from that because it's difficult to forecast these things. But in the long run, it's a dollar to a dollar.
0: So... Your claim is that these rising rates are due to the fact that juries are have gotten more uh, generous in these uh, malpractice suits. And what, about, what other type of evidence is there that this is true? What, you have some evidence, I think, on state-by-state state differences?
1: Right. That is correct. So it's, this is not simply true across the nation as a whole. Some states, uh, the juries in those states, the judges too, I don't want to blame it all on juries, the juries and the judges in those states are much more generous let's I'll, I'll go with that, but <laughs> let's put that in quotes yeah um, they award they give much higher damages than in other states
0: for the same, now this is the key point though I want to ask obviously, when we say that that malpractice awards are going up, they could be going up because juries feel a certain way relative to how they felt in the past. It could be because uh certain procedures are more uh, risky on average, than the past procedures, or it could be because um, the actual damages have gone up. But what you're saying is that for the same level of malpractice, that is the same error, like leaving the uh, scalpel in the patient after you sewed him up, or taking out the wrong, uh, 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 amputating the wrong uh, leg, you're saying if I hold that constant, how much I have to pay in a malpractice suit if I lose? is not the same across states, and it varies dramatically. Is that true?
1: That's exactly right. So, for example, um, medical malpractice premiums are about six times higher in Pennsylvania than they are in Wisconsin. Now, you can explain some of that, perhaps, perhaps in Pennsylvania, the, you know, the population is older or something along those lines. You can explain some of that. but
0: More urban density, I know whatever right. that means. I'm not that's sure which right. way that goes. It,
1: who knows how, which way it goes? So we, we actually test for some of those effects in our paper. But could it really be possible that medical malpractice is six times more egregious in Pennsylvania than in Wisconsin? Or are the doctors in uh, Pennsylvania six times worse than those in Wisconsin? Or to put it another way, if you had one of these wonderful doctors from Wisconsin, if he moved to Pennsylvania,
0: he would
1: he be paying the old Wisconsin rates because he was a great Wisconsin doctor, or would he be paying the new Pennsylvania rates? So there must
0: be something in the water. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's probably Lake Erie combined with maybe uh, failure to win the Super Bowl in the eastern part of the state. Now, it's complicated, obviously, but I, I'm being silly, but let me ask a serious question. Obviously, the examples you gave, the explanations you gave are not right. It's not true that Pennsylvania doctors are poorly trained relative to constant doctors or that Pennsylvania patients, on average, have six times more dangerous procedures. So what is the explanation?
1: That's right. So one of the explanations, or sadly to say, one of the reasons why awards differ so dramatically across the state has nothing to do with medical malpractice whatsoever, but has to do with political factors. Um for example, in states which elect their judges, particularly ones using partisan elections, where the judges run under a, a party banner as a Republican or a democrat in in those states uh awards are much higher just because the judges are elected and you can kind of see some how, of the logic for how that. much
0: higher there are thirty five
1: thousand dollars higher on average
0: and what 's the logic there
1: Well, the logic is that
0: well, or the illogic. It's really a depressing. <laughs> That's right. Although I have to say, the idea of, uh, you know, I hate it when people talk about Republican economists or Democratic, econ- Democrat economists. But as bad as that is, I think it's even worse to talk about a Republican judge or a Democrat judge. You know, in theory, you'd think a judge would care about the law. What differences would it make under which party banner they run? But I guess it does matter.
1: Yes. Well, its it's not so much which party they run under, but the fact that the uh, have to run in competitive elections.
0: So what's and the implication?
1: The implication is that the plaintiff is almost always going to be a local person, a potential voter. Uh, While well, the defendant might be a corporation, you know, an insurance corporation headquartered in another state perhaps. So the plaintiff, if the judge is elected, the plaintiff is often a constituent. The potential he and his family and his friends are potential voters. So elected judges are going to be somewhat biased towards plaintiffs. Moreover, uh, if one looks at where do judges in states which use partisan elections, where do they get their money for their campaign Yeah, that would be
0: the key question.
1: Exactly. Where do they get that money from, giving the money? And, you know, typically it's the lawyers. 80 to 90 percent of campaign funds for judges come from lawyers and of course the lawyers are interested in judges who give high awards that's how they make their money
0: they've always loved the law they just give out of the thrill of participating i guess uh let me ask it but a different part of that is is the following you'd think let let's re- recreate the logic you're saying that they respond to their constituents now usually we think that's a good thing right right usually we say we want elected officials to respond to their constituents in this case Presumably, you feel that that's not so good, and I guess my related question would be, well, okay, so the lawyers bias the the judges toward big awards by giving them money and trying to influence them. Why don't the doctors give, and why don't the doctors counterbalance that, and why wouldn't other constituents who are now living in this state with these high medical malpractice premiums why wouldn't they resent these judges who impose these costs on their their neighbors, their doctors who eventually are going to End up charging them higher prices, and there's a lot of questions there. See yeah. what you can do.
1: I think they're a very good questions. Um, one reason is is let's think about this a little bit more generally, because this applies to not just medical malpractice cases, but to tort cases, personal injury cases, uh, product liability, as well as medical malpractice. And if we think about uh, a pharmaceutical firm, let us imagine, right? Uh, it can be sued. At any time, in any place, in any one of three thousand counties in the United States. So the farmers- And
0: every every drug has side effects. Every. By, by definition, absolutely. every drug has some individual who's going to have a bad reaction that that can be put in front of a jury as a possible uh, uh, malfeasance or uh, liability issue.
1: That's exactly right. Every drug that works has side effects. <laughs>
0: right, even the best drugs. That's right. kills people.
1: Oh, oh! aspirin uh, kills aspirin. several thousand people a year. That's exactly right. So because of this, it can be sued at any time, any place in, in, the, in the country. It doesn't know which judge is going to be ruling in its case. And by the time the judge has been assigned, it's too late for the uh, pharmaceutical company to get in there with its own money. That That is going really going to look odd. It's a little
0: gauche, I guess, it's to deliver the, the, the frozen lasagna. Uh, It reminds me of this Representative Jefferson who was caught uh, with roughly $100,000 in cash in his freezer in food packages. That was a bribe in the news recently. But I guess it would be a little gauche for uh, Pfizer to to put cash in a judge's uh, freezer while he was out.
1: That's right. On the other hand, the lawyers, particularly the plaintiff's lawyers, they see the same judges over and over again. They're repeat players in the business. So that's why they're the ones who are the primary givers to campaign, because they know, well, if I don't see this guy this week, I'm going to see him next week, and you know he's going to remember who uh, who was generous to him at the time that he needed to be reelected and he needed to help. He's going to remember.
0: It's a very cynical interpretation, Alex, but I suspect. Well, thank you, <laughs> thank
1: you, Russ. <laughs> but I
0: suspect it's part of human nature. Even if he doesn't intentionally say this guy helped me, he may be influenced. Uh, uh one way or the other.
1: And actually I don't even need in intention because it could be the case. Suppose there are just two judges and one of them honestly believes in higher awards. the other one honestly does not. Which one is the lawyer going to support for re election?
0: That's an easy choice. Exactly. Um so that explains some of the difference then. This 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 somewhat unintuitive uh perhaps idea that having judges be elected forces them to uh, raise money from folks who have a vested interest in their decision not a very attractive uh a- aspect of life but it is the real aspect of life but you said for example it might amount to a thirty five thousand dollar difference that is not enough to sustain the six-fold difference between pennsylvania and wisconsin no. let me give right? you
1: a few other things which yeah, matter as well another thing which matters is there's a, a famous uh, statement by uh, Tom Wolfe who said that, that the Bronx jury redistributes the wealth. And what he meant is that juries in counties with a lot of poverty tend to be much more generous in their award. Uh Indeed, if you look at um, awards, and this is tort awards uh, uh, generally, uh, not just medical malpractice, but if you look at awards in counties with low poverty rates, Average award might be $500,000. To zero It's about a 4% poverty rate, let's say. You go up to a poverty rate of 25%, and the average award is closer to $2 million. So simply by bringing a case in a county which has a lot of poverty, the award can increase for exactly the same case, can increase by four or five times.
0: But and, Wisconsin has poor places, don't the... Um... Wisconsin lawyers try to find those poor juries also?
1: I bet they do, but if you really want a, a poor county, uh, going back to Pennsylvania, it's the Philadelphia jury. Hmm. Uh, for example, um, in the past uh, few years, between 1999 and 2001, the Philadelphia juries alone returned approximately 81 verdicts with a, a, an award greater than $1 million. That was almost the same as in all of California. I think there were 101 verdicts of that size. So Philadelphia alone had as many, almost as many million-dollar verdicts as all of California.
0: Is that driven perhaps by a a handful of very skilled lawyers in in one particular jurisdiction, in a handful of jurisdictions, Sure, Philadelphia is not the only place, but that are skilled at, at getting that jury chosen, skilled at getting in front of the right judge? Is it a small number of outliers here that are that are really causing these differentials?
1: I think it is. It's um, it's primarily driven by what we would call the right-hand tail by these uh, outliers, and it's
0: and by outliers we mean extreme, a handful of extreme high, numbers. Extremely yeah.
1: extremely high awards. And I think this goes back to the point about cynicism, which you mentioned earlier. It's not that I believe that every elected judge is biased. Or that every uh, you know high poverty jury uh, is uh, gives excessively high awards. It's that when you bring several of these things together, bring elected judges in a high poverty county with a very good lawyer, that that is a recipe for a multi-million dollar, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, perhaps. So it's that combination of things,
0: with the consequent high premiums for insurance with the resulting high costs and unpleasantness of being a doctor and then the resulting reduction in choice and and practice by doctors. so that that's a let's take this as a uh, of course one view says that's good hey it's good we want those high awards mm-hmm. you know th- there's a natural impulse for some those of us who are not lawyers i think when we hear about uh pennsylvania six times having awards that are six times larger than wisconsin's um we might say, oh my gosh, something's wrong in Philadelphia, uh, which of course many people have argued or, for a wrong or time. Or we might
1: say something's wrong in Wisconsin. Right, that's the alternative. Right.
0: The alternative is that some, those poor people in Wisconsin, they just don't have the protection that people in Pennsylvania have. What's, right. your, what's your take on that?
1: Well, I think we have to ask, we, we want a, a, a civil justice system, a tort system to do two things. One is to compensate people who have been unjustly or negligently injured. And the other is deter bad practices. Now let's look at compensation first. Is the civil justice system a good method of compensation? And the answer is, unfortunately, it's terrible. It's terrible because by the time the lawyers and the administrative costs have been taken out of a jury award, the person who is injured gets less than half. So we're, it takes about 60%, 60 cents, on every dollar, to get that dollar from the defendant to the plaintiff, it's a very expensive system. Much more expensive, for example, than simply having uh, a Blue Cross
0: insurance. But now you're telling me that it's even worse for Wisconsin. Not only do they only get a sixth of the amount that those those good souls in, in Pennsylvania get, but they only get to keep really get to keep a twelfth of it. So well, it's even more strong. You're, you're making the case that the, the system's broken in the wrong direction.
1: So that turns us to the issue of deterrence. Do these high awards deter bad practices by doctors? And you know, if if they did, then I wouldn't be a critic of this. Um, but the evidence seems to be that these sport awards are so random, they hit the good doctors almost as much as they hit the bad doctors. And a lot of the time, they don't hit the bad doctors at all and when they do hit as i say it's random almost between the good and the bad doctors that the system doesn't deter very much so we're not getting we're, we're we're transferring a lot of money where a lot of it is going down the funnel uh, a lot of it is being wasted in the process and we're not getting very much deterrence
0: i guess the issue would be more than just this deterrence issue because it's hard for i think for people to uh to be comfortable with this idea but economists Actually believe that there's a possibility of too much deterrence, right, so if we had the awards being t- you know one view says, well, the bigger the award, the better because then they'll just be more defensive, more careful, better to have more caution, better to take more care. but the economist's view is that you know, there's such a thing as too much care, and that as a result of the current system, defensive medicine is very costly and discourages uh the use of of good medicine because it's because of the cost. That we have to go through all these extra tests, all these extra procedures, all these extra drugs that are merely being done, not merely, I shouldn't say that, that are where the return to those tests and, and treatments aren't worth it, but are only being done to discourage the risk of, of lawsuit. That's the worry, right?
1: Yeah, I, I do think that defensive medicine is a problem, though it's controversial in the literature it's very difficult to say, you know, what tests shouldn't be being you know shouldn't be be doing which which ones are the excessive ones right you
0: know yeah the uh, ones that are done on my neighbor that's right but having said that uh, sorry for interrupting i just because sure. it's an important point uh it is it's tempting to say that it's hard to define and that i always want the most caution but i don't always want the most caution because some of these tests are risky for the patient yes and the doctor wants those tests because that's considered best practice but i as the patient might say hey no i don't want that test but the doctor often Tries to just kind of slip it in because he or she wants to insure, be insured against the the risk of a suit. That's right. So it, it is a little it, it is a little more complicated. I,
1: I think we have too many um, cesareans uh, in, in the United States, for example. And one reason too many. Say that again. Too many C sections. Uh-huh. Too, too many uh, cesarean deliveries because um because doctors do those uh, uh, at the to avoid the possibility of a uh, injured baby.
0: Or, they, or an injured mom. Or an injured yeah.
1: mom, and, and they're, I think they they often do it too rapidly. You know, certainly the number of C-sections has been increasing uh, in the United States. And just like port awards and premiums, the number of C-sections varies across the United States dramatically. So why is it, you know, 30% in some counties and only 5% in other counties?
0: Are there more C-sections in Pennsylvania than in Wisconsin?
1: Uh, I don't know for, that for specific, birth. but I do know that it does vary with awards. It and, does vary.
0: Well, we're almost out of time, Alex. It's been it's been fascinating. I want to I want to close and ask you, you know, the, the obvious question: uh, What is to be done? Given this, you've painted a, a fairly depressing picture for, for those of us uh, in the uh, consumer and patient and doctor world, which is uh, we have a an erratic set of 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 jury awards that leads to an erratic set of insurance premiums, which leads to very different environments across states for the practice of medicine and being a patient. That that where those environments are not related to patient medical issues, but merely due to the the legal environment. So, what should be done about that?
1: Well, you've left the hardest questions to last. Of well, but I won't
0: give you much time, <laughs> yeah. so you can easily bow out with a few simple uh, platitudes if you need to.
1: All right, let me say <laughs> this: Is that we could, and we have in some cases put caps on awards. And those do seem to work. However, I think that's a very crude, a very crude method of, of tort reform. So what I would like to see is, yeah, Give
0: to, me your ideal. Don't give me what's politically feasible.
1: Okay. Um, I would like to see us move towards more specialized courts. Um, courts where the, uh, judges and perhaps specialized juries, um, see many medical malpractice cases and develop some greater expertise into what is truly negligent behavior and what instead is the result of simple random chance. Because the, a, a lot of these problems come from the, the sad fact that some children, for example, are going to be born with birth defects. And separating out those ones who were born because of doctor negligence and those ones who were simply born because of nature's negligence, if you want to put it that way, is a very difficult job for lay people to do. And so I'd like to see judges who have more experience in medical malpractice cases and perhaps specialized juries as well.
0: What about political changes? What about... Uh... I mean, one of the obvious problems with jury awards and judge awards is is the incentive, right? A jury and a judge, whether they're the most rational or or unemotional group in the world, no matter how you slice it, they do not bear any responsibility for their decision. Right. Right. Is there any proposal out there that would to me, that's the biggest problem. You know, a jury that that moved by the skill of a lawyer or a judge who is, for whatever reason, sympathetic to one side or another, could be either side, uh, plaintiff or defendant makes a decision where the consequences of making a bad decision are virtually zero. The out of pocket is certainly zero. The only the only consequence is your conscience. And a conscience is an important and wonderful thing. But most juries and most judges don't look ahead at the consequences of those decisions and so is there any way to, to impose some consequences for bad decisions on on the people who make those decisions or change who makes those decisions and put it in the hands of people who have that responsibility?
1: I think we may be able to change who makes those decisions in the following way. is If judges would respect contracts, then it's certainly possible to um, uh, beforehand have patience and doctors and their HMOs and hospitals decide what kind of tort system do we want? how are we going to if there's a dispute, how is it going to be resolved? And instead of taking it to the courts to take it to arbitration, for example, so allowing and enforcing contracts which are made ahead of time can take these decisions out of the hands of judges and juries and put them back into the hands of patients and doctors. That requires, however, that ultimately the judges say, look, if this has been decided by contract in advance, we are going to respect those contracts and not override them.
0: And they don't respect those now?
1: Often, they do not.
0: And I guess the idea here would be a similar example of if I wanted to waive my rights to sue my doctor because I was a high-risk patient or I was pursuing a high-risk procedure, I can't really waive my rights, uh, which sounds like a good thing. Uh, why would you want to be able to waive your rights? But the reason you would want to is to encourage a doctor to take a chance on a high risk situation. But ultimately, my understanding—and and please correct me if I'm wrong—my uh, understanding is that you really can't waive your rights. If something does go wrong, you can always sue and say, "Well, you know, what judge or jury would say? Well, you know, he wanted to get the judge, the doctor, to take a chance, but when it didn't turn out well, of course, the doctor should be liable."
1: That's that's right. I mean, when the judges and juries. The injured uh, plaintiffs, who are perhaps emotionally compelling, uh, unfortunately, they tend to—not all of them, by any means—but some of them will tend to say, "Well, let's put aside the law. Let's put aside what these parties agreed to by contract, and let's do what is quote the right thing. Let's support this injured plaintiff, this poor person, and so forth." Unfortunately, in the long run, that doesn't benefit anybody; harms a lot
0: of them. Maybe we need a um a T V show. American Victim. And each week we'd put on a set of people who were, you know, damaged by what was probably just bad luck, but maybe it was malpractice. And then we could we could send in money. We could create maybe a pool that we would award to the people. It's an interesting concept. right
1: Yeah, yeah you, you might uh American American victim. it could be the next the next hot thing.
0: I doubt you it. You better patent that. I doubt it. Alex, it's been great talking to you. Thanks for such a Interesting and, and provocative set of ideas and findings, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Russ. You've been listening to Econ Talk, www.econtalk.org. Thanks for joining us.